This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. I'm Trish Lincoln. I'm a clinical nurse specialist in the cardiac ICU at Boston Children's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. I'm here with Martha Curley, who's on faculty at the University of Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Boston Children's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. We're here for a year in review, a focus on the science of nursing. Good morning, Dr. Curley. Good morning. My first question here to uh, Dr. Curley. Um, why did you select the particular papers that you're going to present here? Thanks, Trish. So um, when I was invited to originally do this talk at the American Thoracic Society meeting, um, in fact, in Philadelphia, um, you know, when they give you an opportunity to say, okay, look at all the papers that have been published in a year and interpret the most significant papers, you're at liberty to kind of pick and choose what you think personally uh, are impactful. Uh, so what I did is a typical get into, you know, uh, PubMed, put in the major search terms, uh, and it's kind of nice because you kind of narrow for one year. You don't have to read everything in depth of any particular topic. And I just um, did that and specifically looked at peace critical care. Um, I looked at high impact journals uh, because I thought at least if they were published in high impact journals, then I wouldn't have to really dive into the pros and cons of any particular paper scientific designs. You know, I could at least really be um, thoughtful enough to say what are the major papers in the past year that influenced the practice of pediatric critical care nursing and then uh, be able to pick and choose the ones that I thought were most important. So once I had all these papers in front of me, then it got to a point, at least from my perspective, having to put them in some type of a conceptual framework because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't just talking about the physiologically based papers. I wanted to really talk about uh, all those things that nurses do that really make um, a difference for patients. So what I did at that point is uh, the conceptual model that always works for me is um, a book that Patricia Benner and her colleagues published on nursing wisdom. And within that um, publication, they talk about nine dimensions of nursing practice. Um, so the nine dimensions are diagnosing and managing life-sustaining uh, uh, physiological functions. The second is the skill know-how of managing crises, uh, providing comfort measures, uh, caring for patients' families, uh, preventing hazards in the technological environment, uh, facing death, end-of-life care and decision-making, uh, making a case, communicating clinical assessments and improving teamwork, uh, patient safety. Uh, patient safety now is huge, as, as we know, and live almost every single day. And then also how to provide clinical and moral leadership. So I went through all the papers that I had and I kind of um, put them within these categories. 
some of the papers that I really wanted to talk about, um, I thought most people, uh, you know, could read that on their own and not really um, have to have me call attention to them. Uh, but the paper, the first one on managing life-sustaining therapies, which is a lot of what critical care nurses do, we're in this high-tech environment. Uh, the paper by Mike Ingus and his group on, on tight glycemic control in your population, the study that I'm sure that you were involved with here, um, was a really nice paper uh, to have published. It was a negative paper, but the nursing work that went into managing patients on a tight glycemic control uh, protocol is a huge phenomena, a movement I think that um, nurses in critical care are starting to manage all the time. You know, all these nurse-led therapies that we have. So other papers that are in the category that I thought were really great papers was the paper published out of Brazil that really looked at how best to provide oral hygiene. Uh, in patients, and that team under the leadership of uh, Dr. Bavaldi uh, Padera is doing wonderful work in, I think, uh, establishing bench research for neuroscientists that I don't think exist in any other country, so that's a pretty cool paper. Uh, there's another paper by Franco Carnavali's group up in Canada that really just ask the question about what happens when um, a, a child arrests in an intensive care unit. What do you do with the other parents who are witnessing other children's arrest? And the title of that paper is very interesting. It's Parents Struggles with Witnessing Resuscitative Measures on Another Child uh, in the Intensive Care Unit. So that's pretty um, interesting. Uh, another paper is Elaine Meyer's paper that uh, with the use of simulation, uh, the sim uh, program here, um, you know, sh what happens when uh, parents are witnessing really bad events uh, within the intensive care unit? Should you ask them to stay or should you ask them to go? And through the use of simulation, she runs through scenarios uh, with the participants to help them make that decision in a sim environment rather than having to make it for the first time, you know, in a real environment. In the critical care area. Right, right. The use of technology is very much a part of the practice in the critical care area um, every day um, that um, impacts um, what is nursing is doing. What papers specifically did you find in, um, in the use of addressing the use of technology and um, within the framework um, that you've used? Well, there's a lot of um, papers. There's a movement now uh, with nurse-led therapies uh, because, as you know, uh, there's lots of opportunities for nurses to influence outcome. And in isolation, adding a tight glycemic control uh, protocol, adding a, another sedation protocol. There's another paper uh, that we reviewed on um, turning off infusions. You know, what happens with patients when you do that on protocol? And all the technology, the technology-rich environment is burdensome to have to cognitively process. But on top of that, uh, really, um, how do nurses make those decisions and how they prioritize? And uh, one of the papers that I want to focus on is a paper that um, I believe came out of the Hopkins group, um, Custer's paper, that looked at team cognition. How do teams work together? 
and uh, how to characterize by a cognitive task analysis all of what people think about uh, at the bedside and how you move from individuals thinking separately to a group process of really painting a picture of really what the patient looks like and how you work together as a team. And it was a real interesting paper to me because um, it's one of the few qualitative papers that I've seen our physician colleagues really use that method. Uh, and qualitative analysis is sometimes called you know, soft science. Uh, you do a bunch of observations, you do a bunch of interviews, you do a, th a theme analysis, and then you, you know, paint back a picture. Uh, and because you get a, a horrendous amount of data interviewing just a few scenarios, a few uh, uh, people, those who sit in the quantitative world really don't think it's significant. Um, but qualitative analysis is, is a wonderful, all those methods are wonderful because you really get closer to the truth of really what's happening. And the group out of Hopkins is really spending lots of time trying to think about how people think and how we think differently within groups and how we all have to move on the same you know, page to get there. Uh, so that was one paper that was really kind of exciting. Maybe you could um, talk a little bit about how we would actually incorporate that into our practice, the results on that paper. Well, it's too early uh, because it's really their first blush, but I know that the group is now that they've learned that there are many different pieces of information and there is a process that you can go through to hopefully get people on the same page. They're going to do some further testing of that and really in the quantitative world. Uh, but the environment and how it, you know, how we um, live within the environment is very, um, it's very, it's under scrutiny now. Uh, in fact, there was a wonderful op-ed piece that was published in the New England Journal about how people are sick and they're sick in hospitals <laughs> and that's why they're here. But purely, simply by being in the hospital, you get sicker. The paper talks about how we really have to pay attention to the uh, environment in and by itself and how to go from this very loud, noisy place where nobody is sleeping to redesigning the intensive care environment to a healing environment. And so we're challenged not to make people sicker purely because they are sitting in an environment, but really through nursing research, controlling the space uh, and controlling the patient's experience and really flipping that into a healing environment. Um, these uh, places don't have to be as, you know, as uh, loud and disruptive as we kind of have come to expect, those of us who have grown, in these, grown up in these units. So when I first um, read this piece that was published in the New England Journal, the op-ed piece, I was taken back because I was like, wow, you know, a lot, we're, we're finally paying attention to the care environment. Um, and if you remember, you know, I mean, nurses' history of, you know, what we do is put the patient in the best condition for nature to act, the Nightingale quote, uh, hospitals in and by themselves have gotten to be pretty uh, traumatizing places uh, to be sick in. Uh, so really to quote from the piece, um, uh, Dr. Krumholtz talks about, and I quote, uh, during hospitalization, patients are calmly deprived of sleep, 
experience a disruption of normal circadian rhythms, are nourished poorly, have pain and discomfort, they confront a baffling array of mentally challenging situations, receive medications that can alter cognition and physical function, and become deconditioned by bed rest or inactivity. So when you read that, it's almost an indictment against nursing. Because all of those things, nurses should be managing uh, to provide a better healing environment for patients to exist in. And currently, we have few nursing research studies that really address these, um, these factors of really moving to uh, creating a calm, healing environment. I was going to say, and any one of those factors could be developed into an individual study. Exactly. They don't exactly. have to, you don't have to take on all of them mm -hmm. at one time. Pay attention uh, to circadian rhythms. Pay attention to a patient's sleep. So although this isn't a, you know, a research study, it really just calls attention to how we need to pay better uh, attention to that and to build programs of research uh, within that. We now have a few questions for our audience. We ask that when you answer the question, if you want to, to share, if you could please state your city and country before you begin your answer. We are interested if anyone is currently controlling the ICU environment so it is less toxic to the patients and their families. Which leads me to another important paper that I thought was published uh, last year. It was published out of the group out of Canada, uh, a nursing research specific uh, group, a nurse-led group up in Canada, uh, Maternal Touch and Talk for Invasive Procedures in Infants and Toddlers um, in the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit. Now, here's yet another negative paper. All I'm, I guess I'm just talking about negative papers uh, today. But here's a negative paper uh, but the brilliance of this paper comes in in that these investigators finally figured it out, you know, that if you help parents parent their sick children, if you teach parents as the intervention to be with their kids and to really be like the shot of, you know, a benzodiazepine to keep them sedated, that you can help kids through procedures. Uh, it was a negative study because really what they wanted to do to see if whether or not kids uh, were able to be uh, calm faster, recover faster, et cetera, they were able to show that when they included parents into the procedure that kids recovered faster. Uh, it didn't impact you know, their primary outcome variable, uh, but it really was insightful that number one, they started using families and uh, helping families to be present. So the days of family-centered care of just having people come and stand and not do anything uh, are over. It's really looking at parents as an intervention to help kids get through bad things. Um, the bad things still happen, uh, but parents, if you help them uh, be present for their children, they can be and their kids will recover quicker from the procedure, which is another um, wonderful point of this paper is they looked at really good outcome variables. And what they looked at was the time to recovery. 
Um, and they looked at physiological stability as an outcome variable. And again, that's what nurses do. We spend all of our time trying to get patients who are pretty unstable to be stable and to maintain their stability. And so these nurse researchers are right on target in that they're finally picking outcomes that are really important for patients and things that nurses really can control. It also is very interesting in that um, the inv interventions will not only just come from the nurses themselves, but they'll, have to, they'll come from the parents. Though they know the role as parents, they're gonna need to learn the role as parents in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And it will be the nurse at the bedside that will be impacting that. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really interesting because in our days of like how many tasks that we do, uh, in pediatrics, especially in pediatric critical care, a lot of what nurses do is to help parents get through this really bad experience. And so finally, these, you know, these wonderful researchers, Canadian researchers, nursing researchers are really asking really good questions. Uh, how do you really uh, help parents be present, give them opportunities to do it successfully, and really measure physiological outcomes that are important for patients uh, in our phenomena um, of concern. I mean, typically how we do it in, you know, in, is to give people more medication uh, to do it. And so the nurse researchers um, from, uh, from Toronto, uh, the primary outcome variable for that study was physiological stability and time to recovery. And although they did not hit statistical significance for the physiological stability, both patients were equally stable through the intervention, uh, children who were exposed to uh, their parents at the bedside recovered quicker. Uh, from the intervention. I was going to ask, what did the parents do? What did, um, I think it was mothers, what did they do? They were, they were uh, really taught how to interact with their child, how to touch, how to support. Uh, they were encouraged to uh, talk, uh, sing, do anything that they typically do with their, you know, toddlers. Uh, that they would do at home, except in a middle of invasive procedure, and to touch uh, other outside, obviously outside of the invasive uh, uh, area that was having the procedure, but to talk, uh, to talk and to touch, and to do whatever they thought they needed to do to gather their child's attention and to be comforting. Uh, during the procedure. So uh, it was exciting that the researchers, you know, chose physiological stability as an outcome variable and also was really, to me, the first set of researchers really to put some legs around that outcome variable and to really measure from the start of the procedure to physiological, you know, stability towards the end of the procedure. So I think it's an exciting uh, outcome variable that they uh, selected. And then you were saying time to recovery. Mm -hmm. That um, that the, um, was there significance in um, yeah. in that area? Yeah, the kids got back to baseline quicker than those who did not have their uh, their moms present. So again, using parents as a therapeutic tool to help their children get through some really bad experiences uh, in the intensive care unit. We now have a few questions for our audience. We ask that when you answer the question, if you want to, to share, um, if you could please state your city and country before you begin your answer. 
Does anyone in our audience have a formal education or orientation program for parents to assist them with interacting with their critically ill child? So, you know, typically what we do is we give kids, you know, sedation, IV sedation. So the third paper that I wanted to mention was uh, a paper that was published out of the Rotterdam group um, in Europe. And it was a straightforward randomized controlled clinical trial comparing IV morphine with IV acetaminophen, paracetamol, the, the European term, to see how much exposure kids were uh, had in either group and their outcome variable was how much exposure to opioids as compared to not and that was a very exciting study you know it was the first study of IV Tylenol, IV uh, um, acetaminophen. Yeah, IV acetaminophen uh, that's been conducted so it's searching for other ways that we can be using sedatives in this population uh, and sedatives that probably don't have as many negative uh, iatrogenic effects. Um, the patients uh, in the uh, intervention group um, had less apnea. It wasn't powered for statistical significance, but there was less apnea. And that's something that we're always nervous about when we're pushing, you know, the opioids, you know, in this population. What really got me excited about this, pa uh, this paper was that it was conducted by an interdisciplinary team of researchers. Uh, this team in Rotterdam has been functioning for several years now excellent team of medical and nursing and psycho psychosocial researchers coming together, each asking really good questions from different disciplinary lenses. Uh, and Monique uh, Van Dyke is to be congratulated with really being an equal player on this team and really pushing nursing science forward by embedding within these RCTs that are testing different pharmacologic agents, the nursing uh, interventions. Specifically in this study, uh, they use standardized uh, pain assessment tools. They um, looked at nurses' clinical decision-making around when these medications were administered. Uh, and it really um, was the basis of the intervention was nurse-led. Uh, nurses used protocols to keep these kids comfortable. So. Really, this study couldn't be done without nursing interventions being consistently applied uh, so that you could determine whether or not uh, the patients were comfortable, that uh, good tools were being used and really good sound, uh, you know, reproducible clinical decision-making from a nursing perspective. Uh, so I was really excited to see that paper uh, and the strong nursing presence within this JAMA uh, paper that was published by this really strong multidisciplinary team. That's, that's wonderful to hear. We now have a few questions for our audience. We ask that when you answer the question, if you want to, to share, um, if you could please state your city and country before you begin your answer. Is there anyone in our audience that is using IV paracetamol or acetaminophen as a first line for pain relief before using uh, any opioids.
The fourth paper that I want to mention is neurocognitive outcome paper that was published um, from the Vandenberg Group uh, in Belgium. Um, this paper uh, is very exciting because it moves what we do in the ICU, it assesses what we do on the ICU's impact on long-term outcomes. Uh, there are so many things that, as, as we've discussed, that we've taken for granted within intensive care units. Uh, but now, looking beyond the intensive care unit, looking at kids' development three years post-intensive care uh, experience is a huge, um, is a huge um, place that we've never even gone. Uh, this paper, senior author Vandenberg, was stellar in that, you know, there's been a lot of controversy on whether tight glycemic control period is helpful or not, but when they ran their acute phase of the study, uh, patients in that study um, were subject, there was a higher incidence in hypoglycemia, which may impact the developing brain downstream. And so this group pulled in a very large number of kids and looked at their cognitive, the cognitive impact of really keeping these kids on protocol and the downstream effects. And they didn't see any differences between their groups, but what was shocking was that all the kids had at least a 10-point reduction in their IQ points, meaning the pure nature of them having experienced a critical illness really, uh, you know, ended up decreasing their, capa their cognitive capacity downstream. So it's kind of frightening. Uh, the paper, I think, was very frightening in its results, but it only comes back to us uh, as nurses to be able to challenge each and everything that we're subjecting these kids too. It might be that, you know, their disease itself, the hypoxia, all of the uh, big neurological hits that they take uh, because of their critical illness will impact that. But anything we as nurses can do to control the environment, to create a healing environment, to really get kids to physiological stability quicker, using their parents might end up helping the kids um, you know, in the long run. So this fourth paper that really looks at the neurological outcomes of kids post-critical illness is really uh, insightful uh, and really challenges us to rethink some of our current practices uh, because those kids are not doing well after critical illness. Uh, more to come. Hopefully we'll see more papers looking at cognitive outcomes of kids uh, post-critical illness. But again, nurses again can uh, contribute within multidisciplinary teams to, um, to help um, articulate that. Well, wonderful. I really, really appreciate you joining us um, here today. And um, these um, papers are very exciting, uh, very motivating to, um, to nursing and um, the science of nursing to go forward and um, look at these, look at um, either pieces of these papers or um, something else that may be of interest to be able to have nursing impact the pediatric critical care environment and the patients that we care for within it. Thanks, Trish. <laughs> this recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide. For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org.